You know, in the first century of its existence, the Federal Reserve printed about a trillion dollars. And and specifically what we're talking about is it increased the monetary base to about $900 billion. The Fed as an institution has one superpower. It can create new dollars out of thin air and no one else can do that. And that's why the Fed is one of the most powerful institutions in the world. And these dollars it creates are new money, high-powered money, foundational money that we call the monetary base. So over a century, the Fed boosts the monetary base slowly and incrementally to $900 billion. And then in about three and a half years after the crash of 09, the Fed prints $3.5 trillion. In other words, it does three and a half centuries worth of money creation in about three years. So, wow, what we're talking about now is a step change, a breaking of the graph, a new era in history. And this has had really dramatic side effects in our economy, in our financial system, in our banking system. I mean, this money wasn't a neutral force. It really did change the shape of the American economy. And and that's what got me obsessed with the Fed in 2016. I mean, I had read a lot about the Fed and its emergency rescue efforts during the crash of 08, but it's what came next. It what it's what came during the decade of the 2010s that I felt was not written deeply enough about. Okay, there wasn't a, a book about quantitative easing or seven years of zero percent interest rates, and and that's the era that really fascinated me. And so that's what this book is about. It starts. When this era, in my uh, estimation, really started, which was November 3rd, 2010, and then it takes us up through the present day after the COVID crash. And, and what you see is a system totally re-engineered by the Federal Reserve. Let's talk about some of the fundamentals around the Federal Reserve, especially for those yeah. who, who haven't studied it. If you go on the Federal Reserve website, it says it's not, quote unquote, owned by anyone. And it's a decentralized board of governors essentially from both public and private characteristics is what it says. So talk to us about the makeup of the Fed and how its governance actually works. The Fed is a, the result of a bizarre experiment of genetic engineering and government. It's part private enterprise, it's part bank, it's part government agency. And I, I actually, I, I try to walk through this history really briefly in the book, but you know, up until 1913, uh, we really experimented a lot with money. The United States was very resistant to creating a central bank. If you could have a modern industrial capitalist society without a central bank, we would have done it. There's always been this reticence in the US to create something that could be so powerful as a government run central bank. The worry was that it would displace the private market. The problem is, we had this sort of wild west of currencies. I mean, literally in, in the late 1800s, there were hundreds of currencies in the United States. So if I went to Oregon and stayed in a hotel, I would present a banknote from Ohio, and we would have to argue about the soundness of that currency. This led to an era of financial uh, instability. We had long periods of deflation. We had regular bank panics. And finally, in 1913, we established a central bank with two key jobs. One was to create a national currency called the Federal Reserve Note, otherwise known as the dollar. The second thing the Fed did was 
it took the role of being the lender of last resort. So if there was a bank panic, the Fed could create new money, lend it to banks that were otherwise sound, that would have been hurt by the panic and stop the panic. So that's what the Fed was created to do. And it, it actually did a, a pretty exceptional job along those lines over the next century, which we can talk about. But you know, to your point of who owns it, who runs it, the tensions around uh, the central bank are, are built into the Fed. I mean, it's really a network of 12 regional banks. Uh, it, it, there's no one Federal Reserve Bank. There are these 12 banks around the country clustered in a map that really reflects what the world looked like in 1913. There are two banks uh, in Missouri, for example, and only one really out on the West Coast in San Francisco. And the governing structure was supposed to be decentralized, like, uh, you know, to reflect the federal, federalist model of the United States. The regional bank presidents had authority. But then the Fed created this governing body in D.C., okay? This, this is the key headquarters of the Fed. It's in a building uh, on the National Mall called the Eccles Building. The Eccles Building's not a bank. It, it's this home of a board of governors. And, and what we've seen over the decades is that power has really consolidated away from the regional banks and into the Eccles Building, where you've got seven governors who are selected by the president and approved by Congress, who really make these key decisions about how our currency is managed. And now way more than that. I mean, what the book is talking about is how the Fed has become uh, incalculably more interventionist than it ever has been in its history and is now doing way more than just setting interest rates. But anyway, those decisions are, are confined now to the Board of Governors, largely in in DC. And, and the last thing I'll say is that, you know, these governors sit on a very important committee called the Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMC. It's probably the most powerful body on economic affairs in the United States. 